just for you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes. Happy Friday. This is our last Friday of the semester. I can't believe our it. Our last Friday panel. Yes, you, yep. can, you can clap yep. for that. It's okay. We won't take it personally. We're clapping too. <laughs> Final exams are looming, but for today, just bask in the Christmas spirit. Yes. Just feel it. Glory. This is, of course, for the university's concert you know, Christmas stuff here, but and we're just going to nestle ourselves right in the middle of it and go forward, so a little bit of a different look, but... Hope yes. you like it. It's all for you today. Merry Christmas. Yes, but first, we have a few announcements before we start our Yeah, panel. just reiterating. So did you get the email I sent with the, all the stuff? Okay, so that assessment survey end, or final, I forgot what it's called, that's 10 free points for you to do, um, 10 free points for you to get before next Friday. I'll send out another email prompt about that. Please do it. It should just take a minute or two. Um, do that. Especially if, I mean, you're, please just do it. Just do it. Um, but if your grade is like on the border, that will help you. So, oh, yeah. It's just yeah. a free 10 points. It's a free 10 out of 10 yeah. just Who for doing it. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. Everyone wants it. Yeah. No one doesn't want it. Final exam is next Thursday in this very room at 10.15 a.m. Yes. It will be the normal amount of time for a final, but it will be the identical format to the midterm that you took. So you'll have the full two hours if you want. We don't expect that. Uh, the university just, that, but yeah. you can have it. The university just sets the two hours. That's, yeah. that's a final exam block. But our exam is just like the midterm. Having said that, we don't want people to plan on, oh, I'll just quick finish it in 10 minutes and then I'll have free time. Like, plan that block to be available for you just in case you need it. Yes, and the study guide is available to you. It's up on uh, a Google Doc that is linked on the website. Theo study places. guide. Yep, yes, Theo study guide. And also we will be doing the official um, course evaluation for this class with paper course evaluations today. So just to let you know, if you, you may have gotten a link. A to, false link. Yeah, a false link that it won't work anymore because we're doing them for a lot of different reasons, it, paper version here today. So this is what we're doing today at the very end. We'll pass them out. It'll take a minute to pass them out. It'll be chaotic, but don't worry. Just sit, sit tight. We'll do it and we'll release at the normal time, but that'll be our, our closing activity. Yes, and well, we, do we have any other announcements before no. we do the creed? We have to remember the creed. We've been yes. forgetting the creed on Fridays. Why yes. is that? I think maybe. I don't know, but we're going to do it. <laughs> All right. And if you will remember to this week's phrase, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born, <laughs> born of, of the, the Virgin, Virgin Mary. Mary, Oops. Christmas time. Yep, yep. Um, so let's, without further ado, let's do the creed. I, I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Excellent. All right. We will ascend. Ascend the podium. <laughs> yeah. This feels so weird. I'm gonna I almost fell like, there. That was I crazy. know. That's actually kind of risky. Okay. So for today's panel, we have... Are you, Pastor? We have our usual two teaching professors and a pastor. Um, I will in introduce uh, the teaching professors, Dr. Brian R. Doak, uh, Hebrew Bible, Biblical Studies. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Nijay Gupta, uh, New Greetings. Testament. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I forgot. What's your middle initial? What's your middle initial? K. K, Nijay K. Gupta. And we have Pastor Tricia Wellstad, 
who is uh, the director of Portland Seminary's Thriving in Ministry and con- wait, Thriving Congregations and Ministry. It's a new new title. Um, I'm at, sure the wording at, is super important. Yeah, at Portland <laughs> Seminary. She's also finishing up her doctorate of ministry at Portland Seminary. She is uh, a an ordained Free Methodist pastor and all-around great gal. So welcome, uh, Pastor you. Trisha Wellstad. All right, so in this last uh, panel, I, and I'll be directing the panel today, I've got the power. Um, <laughs> in this panel, I, I want to open us up with uh, a, a holiday-themed question for you all. Um, you all are academics, pastors, people who have gone pro at Christianity in one way or another. Um, you get paid to think about these things, and that kind of puts you in a special place, I think, to reflect on the meaning of the holiday season, of Advent, of Christmas. Um, and I, I know that sometimes when you are a professional Christian, you can get a little, I don't know, maybe tired or cynical, and maybe, some, maybe all of us do when we're looking at kind of the commercialization of Christmas, maybe the politicization of Christmas. So I want to ask you what, I want to invite all three of you to reflect on, what still keeps Christmas mysterious, meaningful, holy to you? How about we start with Pastor Tricia? Okay, okay. I I was thinking about this because you asked us a little bit earlier. Um, I think that there's, that there, especially Advent, like there's this anticipation that every year I walk through with like, there's these different themes that you're going through in the anticipation of like hope and peace and joy and love. And yet every year it's different. My life is different every year, like for two different Christmases. And I may, who knows, we'll see if, where we go with all this. I was pregnant and so I was there was a baby inside of me and thinking about Jesus being born of a woman and preaching with a baby inside of me, like knowing those things. And one year, nobody else knew I was pregnant. So there's like this, every year, there's this different rhythm, but with these same themes, and there's this new mystery and anticipation that happens. Mm, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. It's hard to follow that. I, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, so real quick story. When I came back from Thanksgiving break, we drove down to San Diego. Where it was slightly warmer, but it was still rainy. And we came back, and our, our heat had broken in our house. And oh, so it was freezing no. cold, and our neighbor is a heating, cooling person, so he was able to come over a couple days later and help us. But for a couple days, it was really cold. And, you know, in America, it's cold in wintertime. I have a friend in Australia, so it's Christmas is a little different for them. But one thing that I love about the Christmas season is you have this December of cold, but there's this message of heat and light and joy that comes with Christmas. So one of my favorite kind of magical and mysterious moments is that Christmas service where you, it's dark and you do the lighting of the candles and you know it's kind of quiet and then you sing Silent Night. And I just, that's like one of my favorite things so that mm. keeps it kind of special. Excellent, excellent. One little ritual I do for myself, this is kind of personal but I'll just go there, okay? Um, I'm, feeling we- I'm feeling weird today, okay? Do it, Warning. it's the end of the semester. Um, I. I prayed my first, when I was about your age, literally, I think I was 19 years old, or maybe 20. This was in the year 1999. I prayed, I think, one of my first real adult prayers in my life. And the prayer was, 
I think it was like, God, I hate my life. Are you real? Literally that. And I prayed it in my parents' driveway on Christmas Eve that year. And I feel like God answered that prayer. And there were, it kicked off a series of bizarre events in my life that led to me being who I am today in a lot of ways. And so I do this thing, it's just, just a personal thing. I go, every Christmas Eve, I just go stand in my driveway for like five minutes, <laughs> no matter how cold it is or where I am. Um, and you know, um, yeah, I feel like I, I love all the rituals and, and the candles and all that stuff, but to have, I have a private, I have a private moment like that because Christmas Eve is connected with me with that moment um, as a college student and as an adult, so. Thank you, thank you. All right, well, I really appreciate that, and now I'm just thinking all the Christmas thoughts. Um, but we want to kick it out to the students. Jenna, do you have a question for us? Well, first, oh gosh, that's loud. Does anybody have any questions from the audience before I read these ones? Please. Go for it. Okay. Um, okay. One person asked, um, gosh, how does uh, Christmas, which has its original roots as a pagan celebration of winter, affect its applications um, as, a, as Christianity's defining moment? Okay, all right. I'm the historian here, so I'm going to tweak that question a little bit. So the time of year when we celebrate it does have uh, pagan origins, but the, the holiday, Christmas, Christ Mass, is actually a Christian holiday. So who would like to reflect on that? Yeah, I mean, one, one response to that is just to say there, there are a lot of things like this, I think, in faith, where it's like there's some analog or faith came in and kind of used something else. I don't doubt God's ability to use any profane, non-Christian, pagan thing. Like a Christmas tree. Like a Christmas tree for God's own glory. And so I think there are a lot of symbols like this. You, you could do this not only with Christmas, but with all kinds of things. Um, also, I don't know if Christmas is the defining event in the year for Christians. I mean, I think Easter is, is obviously a contender for that. But also, there are analogs of Pentecost. Easter. And, well, and Pentecost. Yeah. But also with Easter, you could say, oh, there are like spring fertility oh. rituals. And like, do you think that the Easter bunny and eggs are like a Christian symbol? So I think for Christians, part of it is, it, it is actually separating what's, what's the church's calendar from what is the world's calendar. Mm. But I think you see this kind of stuff all over the place. Um, that's not actually an answer to the question, though. Yeah, just to piggyback off of that, that's really helpful. Um, I, I learned a few years ago that in a lot of countries where Christianity is the minority religion, like Sri Lanka, for example, um, they often naturally celebrate Christian things on pagan holidays because that's its place where it fits. And so they don't see it as kind of uh, uh, giving in to anything. They just see that as this is their opportunity to celebrate their special thing hmm. and that gave me a renewed appreciation okay we can do our thing kind of whenever we want even if it's on pagan holidays there are some christian groups though aren't there that actually take a very radical stance on this like no christmas trees no yeah, celebrate absolutely. that i mean i don't i'm not part of a tradition like that but i respect that move for trying to differentiate itself yeah. i don't know trisha what do you think about those kind of moves do you think that they're crazy like well i come from a tradition that's more on the redeeming side mm -hmm. like we took bar tunes and changed them <laughs> into christian songs and the, with the wesleys and all of that so it's like I'm, I'm more on the side of like, well, let's find where Jesus can speak through this, or how do we make this about Jesus and not just about all the other commercial or other things, so. Okay, all right, who's next? Are there any other questions? A live question. I think Someone if people, if people know there are paper questions to bail them out, then people oh. won't raise their hand. 
I won't read this until someone raises their hand. I'll do that. Oh, that's a bold, awkward move. I know, but Brian did it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. One person. (laughs) I love all the murmuring. Where are the people in my section? I told someone in my section to raise their hand. Where are you? Why aren't you raising your hand? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> They're all pointing at each See, other. It works. <laughs> That's not a person in my section, but she bailed you out. Good people. job. Okay, hi, I'm Tori. And I guess my question is just, so one of the points in the lecture was that Jesus was sent to like experience like human misery kind of and get that idea. But in Genesis, God ex- didn't God experience like rejection when Adam and Eve like sinned? And I was just like wondering on what your like ideas are of that idea that God already experienced that through Adam and Eve. So like why did Jesus have to experience that also? Ooh, good question. Yeah, Tori, that's good. I mean, that, that is an excellent question. Um, you know, he did experience uh, rejection in Genesis, but, you know, I like in John chapter 1 where it says, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. I think it was 1, 9, 10, something like that. And there's kind of a double entendre there. He came to his own could mean he came to the people he created, because John 1, 1 is about that. But then it could be he came to his own, meaning people like him. And so, it, you know, John loves these kind of double meanings, and it creates a whole different thing when you're an insider being rejected versus an outsider being rejected. Um, but, you know, it, in my kind of B-roll from my Monday lecture, which I didn't put into the lecture, I was going to reference the TV show Prison Break. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys ever saw yeah. that show. That's an old one. Yeah, yeah. Old Is that the one older. where the guy tattoos the thing on his the, back? The yeah, map, that's right. Yeah. That it's might great. be a plot spoiler. Yeah. Sorry, but I like that show. I don't yeah. know. Okay. Anyway, so this guy, I'll spoil it for you. It came out in like 1994, by the way. So <laughs> Before the internet. It's good. So I'll spoil the plot a little bit. So there's this guy who goes to prison, and his brother wants to break him out. So he basically gets arrested and put in prison with a plan to break him out. But the whole, I love the whole concept, he, you know, he has this master plan to get into the prison, and he kind of has to be committed of he has to be convicted of a crime to be an official insider then to catch this plot. And so when I think of the incarnation, when I think of why did Jesus have to live in a human life, I actually do think of prison break, that he's got to actually get inside to break them out rather than from the outside just saying, "Hey, you're free." Um, I, I think that's actually a brilliant um, piece of the gospel, so that, that's the way I would explain it. Oh, I like that. All right. Anybody else have a comment on, on Nietzsche's answer? You know, the only thing is that it makes me think, does God actually just suffer in the Old Testament in a variety of ways, like emotionally and so on, mm-hmm. on a basic human normal reading without importing all kinds of concepts in, like, oh, God can't feel emotions, those are just there, anthropomorphic. On a, just a basic normal reason, I think God is suffering all over the place in the Old Testament already. There's a lot of misery or God is angry. I mean, I would include anger, I guess, or sadness as a form of... Mm-hmm suffering in a way. And I think you see God experiencing at least those emotions. And you could say, I mean, to your question, you could even say that that prefigures God's final and decisive move to really go to the inside, to be like that. Yeah, Trisha, or pastor. This is a little bit opposite of what you're saying. I was listening to your lecture and I thought, it's not just suffering, like Jesus experienced a lot of joy. Like I was thinking of playing with my daughter, she's one. And like, she's a baby, and she has all of these experiences, that, and Jesus had these experiences, and learned what it meant to be joyful, and like, yes, the suffering is absolutely essential, I think, that understanding, but then I also think 
but there's this seriousness that is like so intense without the joy like and the 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 lightness of life too like that's a full life not just a portion of life mm. thank you excellent all right jenna yeah someone has a written question that kind of goes with us they ask like does jesus experience loss since he knew like who would be going to heaven like how is that similar or different like if he like kind of knows has the mind of god like how does he experience loss in the same way oh wow I'm going to ask Dr. Gupta to start. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you read the church fathers, like people from, let's say, like the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century, um, they often have this impression that Jesus didn't have real human emotions and that he had so much divine wisdom, like things didn't really affect him. But that's not the impression we get from the Gospels. The impression we get is when someone says something that would surprise him, he was surprised. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a bit of mixture in there. Like the Gospel of John shows a little more of a kind of all-knowing Jesus. The synoptic Gospels like Mark show a Jesus that gets really upset and annoyed at things. And you think if he knows everything, why would he ever emotionally react to anything? But when, when you ask that question, I thought of when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, actually, some early manuscripts of the Bible changed the wording to why have you dishonored me? Because they couldn't imagine that Jesus would be so torn to shreds and upset that he would say forsaken, abandoned, rejected. Um, so I think he, you know, he just had this flood of kind of real emotion that he had. And I, I'm guessing that was one of the hardest things he had to deal with that, you know, these, these real human emotions of feeling abandonment or rejection from his friends, you know, he's sweating in the, you know, Garden of Gethsemane, drops of blood. You know, he's, he's, he's pretty emotionally tortured by the situation. So I take all that as definitely part of the real human experience he had. Mm. Pastor, what do you think? I think he had to. Like, we endure so much loss. Jesus wouldn't know humanity if he didn't know what we know. Like, I've endured so much loss in my short life. And I think that for him to not know that would not be able to identify with what we live through, the death that we live through, literally and figuratively in our life. Thank you. I remember, I remember someone asking me once in a class, was it easy for Jesus to die on the cross knowing he would raise from the dead? And I, I, that's a really good question because, you know, hey, there's victory in Jesus. I mean, we, you know, we can get all kind of happy sing it, clapping sing it about out. it. Yeah, sing I like it. It. It's Friday. Yeah. But, you know, I, you know, I mentioned on Monday some of the difficult things my family's gone through. And you can't undo those things even by recovery. Like, and I think about the broken heart of God. It can never be mended to the same way it was before. There's no coming back. It, you know, so I think that actually one of my students once said, does it give God more compassion for humans that he had to go through this with his son? I think yes. Yeah. I think it, there's no coming back from that, even if there is joy in, in the hope of the resurrection. Thank you. All right, Jenna, you look like you've got a live question. Yeah, so I was wondering um, if Joseph, the father of Jesus, isn't actually genetically related at all to Jesus, should we think of him more as the stepfather of Jesus? Should we call Joseph the stepfather? That doesn't sound crazy to me. I mean, in a way. There's no tradition of, I mean, there's no, there's no biblical tradition of what happens to Jesus' father. 
And so we're left to wonder whether he, you know, he possibly abandoned the family. I, you know, I once had a student who found a lot of comfort in the, at least the potential idea that Jesus had abandoned the family, not because like, haha, Jesus was abandoned, but because the student said that his family was abandoned by their father. And so to think that that's something that possibly Jesus could have experienced was already a thought like, wow, like God, God went through that. Um, or he could have died, just died young. I think one of those two things is the more likely thing rather than that he just lived a normal life and that the gospel authors just chose to never mention him for any reason. But Dr. Gupta is the New Testament scholar and he should say what the case is. Yeah, I think the going assumption is um, we don't know, the gospels don't say, but the assumption is he died. And this would explain why Mary becomes so central to early Christianity. She's there at the tomb uh, and then kind of in Jesus's you know, passion week. Uh, she's there at Pentecost. Um, Luke's very clear about that in the book of Acts. Um, one, one question I often get, which I, you may have in your mind, is why do the genealogies trace Jesus to Joseph if they're not biologically related? And there's a scholar named Richard France who, who says basically Joseph and, had to take the step of, of adopting Jesus. I mean, maybe not legally, but, but personally. And just to think about then Jesus submitting himself to being adopted by another person is quite a radical thing both for Joseph and for Jesus. So I think that's kind of a neat explanation if it's true. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Pastor? No, I like what they said. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Who else do we have? Who has a question? All right, well, then I'll address one that was written. And someone was asking about like some of the traditions that we have around the Christmas season of like giving gifts and like things like that and celebrating around December. So they're like asking like, what is like the mandate for some of the things that we do now as Christians around Christmas time? Does that make sense? How should we celebrate Christmas? Kind well, of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, so first of all, so for the gifts, of course, this is the, the three wise men, right? Coming and giving Jesus gifts. Like that would be the Christian explanation for that, that when we give gifts to each other, we're, re we're reenacting the giving of gifts to the baby Jesus to each other. Is that wrong? Is that right? That's what I always thought it was. I'll throw a little wrench in this. Uh, so, you know, you know the story of the Magi, right? Well, the Greek word magos means sorcerer or magician. And so you could call them wise men or you could call them kings. But for example, the book of Acts talks about a guy named Simon Magus, Simon the magician, who's basically a sorcerer. He's like Dr. Strange, basically. And uh, I love that you can always figure out how to bring, bring it back. It back. <laughs> I just got Disney Plus. So. Marvel. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> it's for the win. Mandalorian. Who didn't just get Disney Plus? Fifth business. episode dropped today, Mandalorian. This is for after finals week. For after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm watching it tonight. We're not even talking about Yoda. Where okay. were we? Oh, yeah, the Magi. Yeah. So, so what are the implications of having basically foreign magicians, you know, people of the occult, so to speak? following a, a random star to find this Jesus. I think that's fascinating. We well, don't talk about that. Well, that's why yeah. in my family, we dress up like magicians to yeah. give each other the gifts. Wear <laughs> a cape. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we I'm do. I'm just picturing like, yep, da, 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 da. Okay. Yeah, okay. picture it. It's real. That's what we do. Pastor, Switch pastor, bail us out. <laughs> Help us get serious. I'm going to take a whole different turn. Like, post, post the New Testament. Like, we were having a conversation just before about like Santa Claus and St. Nicholas. Right, right. And like, the, the man, St. Nicholas, that is known for giving gifts to poor children. I tend to think more that a lot of our gift giving has to do with like some of the tradition that comes out of that than um, 
than the, the holy side of this thing with, with the magicians, um, <laughs> with the magic. Like, I just, I think that there's some of those things that come out of that instead of, I mean, we, again, like I think of it as this redemptive way, like how do I want to disciple my kids to follow Jesus and not Santa Claus um, or St. Nicholas or whatever? Like I'm thinking about, and, and I'm thinking about with our church, like this, it's, I don't want this to be a commercial holiday. I want this to be a place where we, we come close to this mystery of the incarnation and we understand it in a new way. And if we can do that in ways that serve and that we can have conversations around why we're giving gifts and who Jesus is as a gift to us, like we have those conversations and we get new pajamas. That's right. I appreciate that. All right. Who else has a question? Oh, all right. Live question. Yay. Uh, my name is, uh, well, Owen. Uh, and the, uh, I had a question, though, about uh, going back to that thing about the Magi. Because the word kind of has, has this, uh, as I think Dr. Good mentioned, has a association with the word magic or magician. But uh, I think I remember in the Old Testament, one of, uh, one of the uh, laws that's placed down by the Lord was, Thou shalt not receive any advice or aid from uh, magicians, sorcerers, wizards, or witches. And I kind of wonder, how do we connect that back to the Magi boys? that thing we have in culture where we seem to like all the other characters like Dumbledore or Gandalf. How do we connect it back to that? Ooh, okay. That's a great question. It's kind of like a two for one. Like how does that play out in the Jesus moment? Like should Jesus' parents have driven the Magi out away from their child? But then also to the contemporary world where a lot of storytelling traditions and media uses ideas of witches and wizards and things like that. How do you yeah. deal with this with your kids? Uh, I'd probably be like, what's in the box first? And then we'll talk about where they're going to drive you out. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. But, but you know, I, I'll just mention about cultural stuff today. I was part of a church tradition in high school where they were very anti-Harry Potter and all that. So I kind of bought into that because I just didn't know any better. I would say now um, any of those kinds of stories are opportunities to talk about the gospel, you know, and, and talk about, you know, think about the parables you have all this interesting imaginative stuff going on in the parables. Mm -hmm. um, you have brilliant people like C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, who are Christians, come up with really imaginative, interesting things. Um, I think a lot of this fear of the occult and things and, and cultural things and sci-fi, and a lot of it's fear, and Christians are told not to be afraid. Uh, you know, the one who is in you is greater than anything in the world. So it's really opportunities, I think, to talk about the gospel and think about what's, what's true. Um, and art is a way, you know, I think Picasso said, art is not the truth. Art is a lie that helps you believe the truth. Mm. And it's, you know, the arts offer that kind of opportunity. And so much of the Bible is poetry. It kind of inspires us to, to have those moments of reflection. Mm. Pastor? I just keep thinking about, and maybe some of this is from the questions that you've thrown out to us before, but like that God is more than all of what we know and then also near to us and everything that we know. Mm -hmm. Like we have God who created out of nothing and, and created all the things and is, so then is a creator and a creative person and a creative God and, and then comes to us and is creative in these new ways. And I don't know if that fully answers any question, but it's just something that I 
I want to remember because it helps me to remember that God is mysterious and other and holy, but then also very imminently close and still more than I can comprehend. And then I, and then I try to remember that like, I'm not going to be afraid because God is, God is also beyond all of this stuff and I can lean into that. Mm-hmm. I can trust God in that space. Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you. All right, so we, oh, we have a live question right here. Do you think Jesus was easy to parent or hard? Because every time that you were to punish him, you would know you were doing it wrongly. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Well, okay, but this is part of that other question, though. Like, Whoa. did Jesus actually know that you were, he was doing it wrong, like, as a little kid? I don't think so. Like, I can't imagine that that's... So the question becomes, like, it's back to that other question about what it meant for Jesus to be God. Like, the fact that Jesus is God, did that mean that Jesus could do advanced calculus when he was five or ever? I think the answer to that is absolutely not. Like, no way. Like, that's not... Well, that's not a part of what it is. So I don't think, so I think he probably could have been difficult to parent at some point as a little kid, but I don't think he's like, I don't know, like that's, I think this is what you were saying earlier, that we can't, we don't imagine Jesus saying things like that. You're asking a really good question because it's something that the early church asked a lot too. Mm -hmm. There's some stuff, there's some writings that didn't make it into the canon that address this. If you want to read something really wild, you can, not here, but outside of class, Google the infancy gospel of Thomas. And you can hear some really funny imaginative things like, what if Jesus, like, as the son of a carpenter, cut a board that was too short? Like, did he just make it longer? You know, Uh, stuff like that. So what do you two, you two are both, like, professional Christians and parents. How do you reflect on Jesus as parentable? I mean, he he did not go with his parents home from the synagogue. That would have been frustrating to me as a mother. Yes. Like, where's my son? I'm freaking out. Where's my son? Like, uh, he's the son of God. Where is he? We can't lose Jesus. Like, that that would have freaked me out a lot. I would have been like, Joseph, why did you lose him? Like, I would have probably blamed my spouse because we're human. I mean, those are the things that you think of as a parent. But then there's this, no, he wouldn't have been easy because no child is easy to parent. That's a fact. No child, like, I love my son, he's the best son ever. And he is super hard and throws tantrums, he's three. Um, So, like, no, he wouldn't have, because no child is easy to parent, and that's not because they're not perfect. (laughs) They're just hard. That's good. Um, You know, it's important to make a differentiation between being sinful and, um, you know, being kind of, less than fully mature. So we know that Jesus wasn't sinful. He didn't do things against God's commands. But the idea that he would never trip and fall, the idea that, you know, when he was working on math, he'd never make a mistake. Um, We know from the Gospel of Luke, actually, I think chapter one, where it says he grew in wisdom. How can Jesus grow in wisdom? Yeah. He can't if he knows everything that's right. the whole yeah. time. Statue yeah, so, yeah, that's right. So he grew in wisdom. Um, you know, the, on the question of, like, parenting, you know, I, I think Jesus was sometimes frustrating for his parents because he, even though he was human and, and did human things, clearly he had something special about him, like you were talking about the, the incident in Jerusalem. So what I imagine is not that they get really mad at him, but they do kind of the office style look at the camera when he does weird things like, (laughs) what's going on here? Like kind of a wah, wah, wah. Like I I think there would be moments where they're like, there's something different about this kid. I I think there would be repeated moments of that. So I've got a follow-up question to that. So if 
if we can agree that there would be challenges uh, to parenting Jesus, why did Jesus not come to earth as a fully formed adult? Why was it important for him to have a childhood? Okay, so I thought about this. Okay. I, was, I was thinking about okay. this. I read your question while I was sitting in my kid's bedroom and, ah. and thinking about this with them. Well, they weren't thinking about this. They were playing with <laughs> you us. You were asking them. I was Why? asking them. They were answering. Lucy had something profound. I think she said, she said bubble. No. <laughs> um, no. Uh, what I, w- I was thinking about this, and I thought, th- he wouldn't have experienced this. He would not have experienced what it means to learn how to eat and he, what it means to learn how to talk and walk and be present and play. And like, I, I was thinking about the fact that, or I, I am still pondering it because it's profound to me, we value adulthood so much more than we value adolescence. Hmm. Like, as a society, I think we want everybody to be young, and so we have like anti-wrinkle creams and crazy <laughs> things like that. But we value the wisdom of age and like growing in wisdom and stature and favor, but, but yet like you, you learn, I think probably so much more from zero to 15 or 20. Like there's just like you learn all these really fundamental developmental, important, whimsical, wondering, curious, beautiful things about life. And for Jesus to have missed that would have been missing a massive portion of who we are. Dr. Guste, Dr. Doze? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was brilliant. I, w- I would just add one thing that we all have in common is we were all born. And I think maybe people wouldn't have believed that he was human unless they were able to say, like, cause just as the people of his village actually said, isn't this the son of Mary? You know, isn't this someone that grew up in Nazareth? I think if he just sort of appeared one day, um, I think it'd be really hard to believe he was really human if he did claim to be son of God and rise from the dead. So it does give that kind of alibi of... <laughs> He actually was born. All right, we have time for one very brief question, one very brief answer. Wait, Dr. Doe, lightning. No, let's go for it. <laughs> Suspense. It's the long pass, the longest pass of the mic possible. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Uh, so I was just kind of wondering, like, did it have to be Jesus to take everyone's sins and like take that on himself and die for them? Or was that completely just the divine part of him? Did it have to be a divine being? Or could someone else who had that capacity of compassion also volunteer to have done some kind of thing like that? Or could it only have been done by some kind of divine being? Ooh, okay, I'm gonna ask y'all to lightning round this. Yes or no? Lightning round, yes, because God the problems that Jesus deals with are problems only God can actually deal with. Um, I don't know if that actually answers the part of why it had to be a human exactly, but I think it's, God's, I think it's fundamentally God's problem that God deals with in Jesus. Yeah, I also think yes, because we talked about Jesus as like a second Adam, kind of recreating the pattern of humanity. He has to do this as a sinless person, and that has to be God himself. Pastor? I want to say no, but the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we can't... We can't hold what God can hold. Like, well, we're just incomplete. You all, okay, we have actually one more minute because the lightning round has never gone this fast before, so I was prepared for someone to kind of drag it out a little bit. Okay, so I have one more question for you. Favorite Christmas movie? Doke Gupta, Wellstead. Charlie Brown Christmas. Die Hard. Elf. 
<laughs> All right, I love that. Okay, you can argue with any of these uh, fine uh, people after we fill out our course assessment. So the TAs are, are coming up to fill out your course assessment. But hey, let's Hannah. thank Pastor Trisha for coming out here yes. and Dr. Gupta. Thank you, well. Hannah.